Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 259 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is February 18th, 2013. Got a big show for you coming up on the podcast. Getting ready for spring football. There's still some coaching vacancies. We got a lot to talk about. Well, Dan Weber coming on the show a little bit later on. USCfootball.com beat writer. We got Coach Harvey Hyde in the very first segment. We've got a lot of questions that you guys have sent in. We're going to try to get to each and every one of them, and we'd love to hear from you. So if you have a question or a comment, anything you want to talk to us about, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or give us a call, 206-888-6755. Leave a voicemail there, or go to peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page. You can leave a voicemail right from your computer. Well, we do have a lot to get to. Uh, spring ball, we think, is starting in a couple of weeks. There's still no official first day of spring ball that we have been told yet but we do think sometime in early march at least that's what usc has said so we're waiting for that and we got coach harvey hyde on the line right now what's going on coach how are you ryan how you doing my friend i'm doing great uh you know it's uh good to have an extra day on the weekend but who takes that extra day no one so uh <laughs> it's good to be with you and all of our listeners out there and it's always fun to talk to usc trojan football it is, and uh, happy it's President's Day, right? Is that what it is? I know it's some kind That's of holiday. That's what it is. That's what it is. <laughs> happy President's Day, and uh, I didn't even think about it. We're, we're doing the show on a holiday, and uh, so I appreciate I know you're out in Catalina, Coach, but I enjoy that you know we can still talk. You guys have phones out there, so there's no problem, and I uh, hope you're enjoying your, your weekend. I know the weather was beautiful on Saturday and Sunday. Not as nice today, but still, still a fun time to be out in Catalina for President's Day doesn't make any difference what the weather's like when i get over here it's wonderful I enjoy it i just got back from my morning walk a few minutes late ryan i appreciate you understanding uh but now i'm all warmed up ready to go all right well let's uh jump into it before we do just wanted to thank our sponsor southern california tickets you can go to sctickets.com or call 1-800-888-7287 give them a call if you want tickets for anything if you want to go to a concert theater event if you want to do any kind of sporting event lots of stuff coming on with lakers and clippers after the all-star break uh the kings the ducks spring uh pitchers and catchers have reported so there will be baseball coming to southern california again soon so lots of stuff going on check out sctickets.com and they can totally hook you up and uh coach there's been a lot of chatter about who these next coaches are going to be four assistant coaches have left we talked about it last week or for Leco or left, and uh, one was was hired on, so there's still three open spots. We've ran a hot board uh, trying to figure out who the next offensive coordinator might be at USC. You can check that out on uscfootball.com. We updated it over the weekend, and one of the names I added, Coach, and I thought you would be a good person to talk to about this. I'd, I'd got word that there was some real interest in former Fresno State head coach Pat Hill, who is currently with the Atlanta Falcons as their offensive line coach. He said he told the Fresno B last weekend, I think it was, that he was happy to be there. There was rumors about him, Alabama, trying to hire him as their offensive line coach. And 
at USC. He could come in as an offensive line coach, or he could come in as the, we assume it would be the offensive coordinator spot. Not sure if he would call the plays or whatever, but um, that, that was the kind of rumors that we were hearing, Coach, that there was some real interest there. And I know you have some connections to Pat Hill. And we'd love to get your thoughts on everything. Well, I'll tell you, you know, whenever you uh, have had head coaching experience, which he's had at Fresno State, and, uh, you know, he was a giant killer up there and uh, wasn't afraid to play anybody at any time and uh, became uh, well-known for that. Pat's uh, an aggressive guy. Pat's a tough uh, football coach. Pat is a very physical football coach. He was on my staff at UNLV, and I liked the way he coached because he's uh, upbeat, He's enthusiastic. He was a great recruiter for me, uh, and he's a heck of a guy, okay? He's, he's a winner. And uh, after leaving Fresno State, which he did last year, and going to the Atlanta Falcons and their improvement in the offensive line and the running game and pass blocking, everyone's taking notice on what he did best, and that's coach the offensive line. Plus, the first year I had him at UNLV, he was my offensive coordinator. So he knows how to run and pass the ball equally. Uh, he likes team speed. Uh, he would be an excellent candidate uh, for the offensive line coaching position at USC. Uh, I think Pat is a college football coach. Uh, he has proven that he uh, can coach in college, and he's also proven he can coach in the NFL. He coached uh, with the uh, Cleveland Browns. That's right, when Mike Lombardi was there and uh, then got the head coaching job with Fresno State. But uh, I'm not quite sure what this is all about or how it's working. Alabama's going after him. And if, Al- if you, I didn't know Alabama lost their offensive line coach. But after you do such a great job and you're a college football coach and you're a well-known recruiter, you all of a sudden become very popular. And he's a West Coast guy and grew up and went to UC Riverside, grew up in the Valley, uh, coached at L.A. Valley Junior College at one time. He knows Southern California. And I think it's really important to have someone that knows California. He'll, he'll know the Valley, obviously, because he was the head coach there. And people know who he is. He has connections. And I think it's very important you have connections. Now, will he be a candidate for the USC coaching position? I'm not sure. Why? Because I don't think Pat would come on a one-year contract. I think that if he does uh, go to Alabama, if he does have that offer, they'll give him a three-year contract. If he does, and they'll probably pay him uh, a million a year, just being realistic. Uh, at uh, at uh, Atlanta, they're not going to let him go. They're going to try to match whatever Alabama uh, offers. So, And again, I think that connection at USC is coming from John Baxter, because John Baxter was – an assistant under Pat at Fresno State. So when you start to put this together, I think probably this all started with John Baxter talking to Lane Kiffin, if he has, regarding Pat Hill. Pat Hill has head coaching experience. He's been an offensive coordinator. He's a heck of an offensive line coach. Really fits, fits in good when you consider where he's from, recruiting, and all of the package I just talked about. But will they give him a two- or three-year contract? Now, that's something that I don't think Pat would come for a one-year contract. Uh, and, and I think that to get quality coaches, you have to be able to be offering packages today because coaches are getting these packages at other universities. So uh, I think Pat Hill would be great 
Have I called him and asked him about it? No. Uh, is this something uh, I will wait and see? Yes. And if he does go to USC, of course, I'll call him and congratulate him and at that time know more about the situation. That's about as much as I know at this time. Okay, yeah, and Lane Kiffin also went to Fresno State. so there was, That's there was, right. <laughs> he, he worked for Pat Hill. Yeah, I, I don't remember if it was if he came in and played under Sweeney but then coached under Hill. His senior year is basically he went to – Kiffin became like a student coach. He was he was behind two guys who were going to play in the NFL, a quarterback. He wasn't going to play, and Jeff Tufford gave him a chance as a uh, – you know, as a, a student offensive assistant. So that's kind of how he got started. But I don't remember if it was the end of the Sweeney era or if it was the beginning of Pat Hill or maybe a combination of both. I don't know if you remember, Coach. I don't remember, so I shouldn't have said that. But I know he was at Fresno State. I know John Baxter was under Pat Hill. And I know uh, yeah. he's I th- probably the senior staff next to Ed Orgeron, who's remaining at USC. So maybe John's uh, telling him about Pat Hill and, and all that. By the way, I want to pass this on, and I'm sure you know this, Ryan. If you don't, Jim Sweeney uh, passed away, and this past Saturday they had a memorial service for him in Fresno. And uh, you know he is uh, Kyle Negretti's grandfather. Yes. And uh, it's amazing what they did. His wishes were to have his memorial services in the stadium. So what they did, he says, he I want a four-hour tailgate like it's a, a bulldog game. So the tailgate started at 10. They tailgated from 10 to 2. The game started at 2 when the memorial services started. So everyone went into the stadium and they had the memorial st- uh, services there. Now, he wanted his ashes thrown on the uh, stadium you know, field, but obviously I don't think you could do that. I, I don't know how that works. But these are the, see, these are the type of things how coaches feel about a school they've coached at, and he's been there a long time, lived there a long time, and I certainly want to pass on my condolences to Jeff Negretti, who was married to Jim Sweeney's daughter, and uh, she had a – he lost her, and uh, I saw him every week when they came down to watch Kyle play. So I just wanted to throw that out. In case someone didn't know that, I think they should. Yeah, no, that's a great point, Coach. And, he, you know, the longtime coach at Fresno State really put that program on the map. He's kind of like Fresno State's John McKay, <laughs> or so, I guess you You're could right. say. You're right. You're right. We USC. used to have some real battles. When we played each other, we didn't like each other. Oh. I mean, it was one of these things when I remember one story. I know these people don't want to hear stories, but I remember uh, we were playing there. We both had great teams, and we and we went to the middle of the field, and we were talking before the game as coaches pretend to be polite to each other, and they love each other and wish <laughs> each other good luck when they really hate each other. And uh, during that hour moment of game time, not really hate, but you know what I'm saying. If right. you're a competitor, you certainly want to win. So I remember telling, boy, there certainly is a lot of red in this stadium. I didn't know we were going to have these many people travel with us here. <laughs> and he looked at me and says, wait a minute, these are – these are Bulldog fans. They're not Rebel fans. I said, oh, I thought they were all Rebels. And he got he got a little upset at me, and he said, good <laughs> luck. And that was that. But I uh, <laughs> had a lot of fun with Jim. That's great. All right. Well, I, I, no, we appreciate those stories, Coach. That's great. It's, uh, you know, having those connections there. There's a lot of connections uh, between the different programs in Southern California and, you know, in the Southwest in general. So it's great to hear that. Um well, let's jump into some questions, Coach, for for this USC program. Uh, I thought this one was interesting. Uh, it says, it, it strikes me that given last year's coaching issues, it would be appropriate for Pat Hayden 
to get more hands-on by requesting agreement to a very detailed plan for improvement and change for specific criteria by which Kiffin's coaching would be judged to the hiring of a strong second voice in the offense and to assigning J.K. McKay or someone else to be the day-to-day eyes in all aspects of the football program. If you were the athletic athletic director coach, what would you do? And that's from uh, Benfect. Well, I think that uh, I would be very much involved. I would uh, think that he would be able to put together a staff. At least I hope he could put together a staff. If I'm the athletic director and I'm paying him two or three million dollars a year, and I've endorsed him, it's very important that he is successful because I've endorsed him. If he's not a successful, people are going to look at me saying, "See." Uh, we told you a year ago you should have made a change. So I think uh, Pat Hayden has a lot on the line here as far as his endorsement of Lane Kiffin. And I think it's very important that the staff you put out there or behind him or surround him with, any head coach, not just Coach Kiffin, any head coach is very, very important. I've always said you're only as good as your players and your coaches as a head football coach. And don't ever be intimidated as far as getting someone who might be better than you because if he does a great job and everybody else does a great job, that's helping the entire program and maybe he'll get a head job or you'll get another head job out of it. So, you know, you've got to be able to have a strong support group. And I think this is a team effort for USC football. I think uh, there has been so much criticism going on and controversy continuously. It's never ended from recruit. I mean, from the end of the season to the Sun Bowl to recruiting, to loss of players, and now the coaching staffs and spring ball. This stuff's got to come an end. Come to an end. There's got to be some positiveness coming back to this football program. The losing of Ken Palamala, that certainly can't help when the players have a party for him and they show their love towards him. And new recruits are at the party. And, you know, all of this stuff, and, you know, when you look at the high school community with the fit situation and how that's going to work out as far as recruits and the Palomala situation with the Polynesian family and uh, are they going to take that positive or negative? And I don't mean to point out these things, but they're fact. They're all fact. They're not things that I'm trying to talk down anybody. They're fact. They're things that are people are going to consider as far as recruiting and who your coaches are. And it's very important that you have positive enough coming in. When a coach comes in, you say to him or the staff or high school coach or the community says, oh, my son played for Pat Hill or my son played for someone. He's a heck of a guy. He's a great coach. You've got to hear these type of things now come in to replace coaches that are gone. If you don't and people come in and they say, oh, now why would they hire him? Well, that can't help, and it just brings more negativeness from the press and the media and the blogs and and all of that. So I think it's very important that J.K. McKay and Pat Hayden realize that uh, it's not just Coach Kiffin. It's their belief in Coach Kiffin in the football program that they're headed in the right direction or they would have made a change. So uh, uh, they have to, of course, be a part of the selections, and they're going to have to make some concessions as far as uh, money that they're going to pay these coaches and also packages that they're going to put together. That's the way I feel on this. Okay. Um, well, we have a voicemail question, Coach, and we have some fans out there that I know there's been, a lot, like you mentioned, USC could use some positive news. There's people out there that are still big Lane Kiffin fans, and they're not really sure what to do. Uh, here's, here's one of them. I'll let them play it. 
Hi, this is Marcel from Diamond Bar. I left a message before but didn't leave my name. I uh, got all caught up in the heat of the moment here. Uh, I'm probably in the minority and, and probably I'm saying that I'm, I'm a Lane Kiffin fan uh, from the res uh, perspective that I don't think another coach or another school in this country could withstand what the NCAA has put uh, this program through. Um, and for him to be 7-6 and six and the won the games that he has won, I think is amazing in his, in his own right here. And I don't think he's, he's getting credit for that. Uh, if USC was playing without sanctions and we had this kind of record, I would be on board the bus with everybody else. But um, I'm, I'm kind of in Pat Hayden's corner and just wanted to get your spin on that. What the NCAA has done to USC uh, is mind-blowing, and I can't believe that no one has taken legal action but an ex-coach. Thanks, and I enjoy the show. Mark, thank you very much, and I appreciate your opinion on this situation because I think there's a lot of positive enough that has happened, and I agree with you 100%. The sanctions against USC were, were absolutely ridiculous. I think that a lot of this... Um, negative type of uh, season, things that people have been pointing their finger at, has been a continuous thing. It hadn't just been one thing and then stop. I think uh, having the 10-2 season two years ago and ending the season as possibly, and I said it, you know I've said it, the top football team in the country, I'd like to have seen them play Alabama. And then the preseason of well, with the talk of Matt Barkley coming back and everyone returning darn near, except for Khalil at left tackle and, and some key players like that. Khalil made the Pro Bowl. That can't be too bad. That must be a pretty <laughs> big loss. Yeah. <clears throat> and all of this stuff put the pressure on USC and put the pressure on people expecting a win, uh, a winning year. They wanted to uh, – they, they, their season tickets were the highest ever. People were advertising, marketing. The excitement was there. The opening game was exciting. Everybody was tailgating. It was, it was, it was going to be the banner year. And then as it went along, it seemed to have things included in the season that weren't positive. And what I mean by that is, the, you know, the little things about he didn't want the teams to walk through the stadium before the game, and they said that wasn't him. Well, I don't know who it was then. Then tell us who it was. Tell us who it was and why. Don't be so secretive. And then all of a sudden, you know, the media, no injury reports. So we're not going to know who's playing or who's not playing. And then he had the rant and rave on the stage and went off. And then he asked uh, one of the reporters to leave the field. You see, when you do these type of things, you're really not causing a positive thing, the deflated football. Not, I'm not saying he did that. But everybody's saying, you're telling me a manager went and did that? Well, I don't know. Maybe a manager does that. But my manager wouldn't have done that. I'd, 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 you don't have any idea what I'd have done. <laughs> and I'd have come out and said that and, 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 and be, give my reasons and have a relationship with the media. If you don't have a relationship with the media, it's very difficult, especially under difficult times. And then um, – and then what happens is, is, is uh, everybody keeps talking about the sanctions as far as can't go to a bowl game, which everyone understood. But this last year, they could have gone to a bowl game. So you can't really hold that as uh, something that uh, was uh, positive. 
they went to a bowl game, but not the bowl game everyone expected. But I'll say this, Mark, and I hope you're not mad at me when I say this. They went to the bowl game they deserved to go to. A team at 7-5 and five doesn't deserve to go to the Rose Bowl or a BCS Bowl game or play anybody else. They went and played Georgia Tech. But the thing that made that bad was Georgia Tech comes in as he, as they have to have a waiver from the NCAA to even play in the bowl game. And then when the game starts and so on, you know, everybody then, another incident as far as the sunglasses and the hood and all this and that. And then people come up with the... The uh, another controversy thing about uh, we were going to call the plays and then where he didn't let us call the plays. I don't know if that's true or not. I really don't. And now what it is, the firing of Ken Palamala and the other choke coaches that are gone, the losing of three key re- re- recruits, and maybe those kids didn't want to come. But it's the way it was handled. And now you move into the hiring of other coaches. Now, the sanctions, I agree have been horrible on USC, and I don't think that the L.A. press really welcomed Lane Kiffin back at the beginning when he had his press conference. The way he left Tennessee, they've been tough on Lane. And, uh, and you know, but I think they're trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. But he keeps putting his foot in another. There's always something next, something else happening. Now, I like Lane Kiffin. He's always been respectful for me. I'm not talking about X and O's. I'm not talking about recruiting. Obviously, he must be a pretty good recruiter because I'm not in the house, but they seem to get good players. I know a lot of it's uh, the coaches that assist the head coach, like I said earlier, but he's been respectful. I've talked to him. We respect each other, and I hope he respects me when I do these segments because I'm not pinpointing him as an individual. I'm pinpointing the entire situation. He just happens to be the head football coach, and when that happens, he's the captain of the ship. So, uh, and the the 15 number of scholarships. Now, I don't think that affected last year's season. I don't think that affected the the guys that did come in. Leonard Williams, he played. Aguilar played. If you're an outstanding freshman, you played. They didn't need a lot of players last year, so they redshirted a lot of these players. Good players, Scott Starr, Riffin, all these kids. They redshirted a lot of outstanding players last year, which was part of the plan. This year they bring in 12 plus one, and they've got 20 for next year. Now the players that are brought in are quality players. Only a handful of these, or maybe half of these players, can contribute immediately, but they have other players that are coming back. So next year with 20, they're not in as bad a shape as what everyone talks about. I think one thing you have to do, and if I'm Coach Kiffin, I'm going to teach my kids how to play football next year. I'm not going to worry about injuries. I'm not going to worry about spring practice as far as are we going to hit or not are we going to hit. We're going to hit. We're going to learn how to tackle. We're going to learn the new defense. We're going to learn how to block. We're going to have a jumbo package. We're going to do everything that we have to do to have a football team. Because if I don't have a football team, there's a good chance that I may not be back. And I would understand that, so I'm not going to allow anything to stop me from doing what's best for USC football and our football program. So I agree he's had some things against him, but I think he's done some things, too, to hurt himself. So, Mark, I think right now everyone's looking towards next season and who he's going to hire. And I tell you, you better hurry. I'm just going to say this because you don't have a lot of time for your new coaches to get involved, to learn the system or put in a system or get ready for spring practice. And I feel you make your football team in the spring. That's where you become a football team, not in the fall camp.
All right. Uh, thanks for that one, Coach. Let's go on to Tarion. Uh, we want to talk about, instead of the coaches a little bit, we want to talk about spring ball. Uh, he says, Coach, can you briefly describe how you and your coaches used to prepare for spring practice? Well, uh, our spring practices were a war. And every every kid knew going into it that it was going to be that way. Now, things have changed. We had 20 days of spring practice, and we hit every day. Uh, we didn't. Uh, if we ever went out in shorts and T-shirts, they thought maybe I'd lost my mind, okay? Because they wouldn't believe it. They thought I've got something else coming up. So we didn't have the number of hours that they have now. I mean, uh, only, you can only have contact for so many hours a week and all this and that. We used to really make that something that if you got through it, it's like boot camp, okay? It was like boot camp in the service. Then you were a rebel or you were a lancer or wherever I was coaching. Uh, we would wash out the kids who couldn't play or the kids that didn't want to play at our level of football. And for kids that have redshirted or new transfers that came in that were junior college players or redshirt players, this was your opportunity to make the football team. Uh, we used to hit a lot. We scrimmaged almost every day on Saturdays. We had the big scrimmages. But when I said we scrimmaged every day, we did a lot of individual work, such as half-line, uh, inside drill, outside drill, stock blocking, continuously working on the receiver's blocking, uh, receiving one-on-one, all the different techniques of football that when you put it together as a unit, you've already practiced it. You haven't just thrown it together. In fact, the first part of spring practice, portions of it early, I wouldn't even take a football on the field during the first drill when we were working offense and I worked with the offensive side of the football. I mean, I'd have footballs on the field, but we wouldn't snap the ball. We would work against the defense in formations, motions, our formations, lining up properly in and off the field without a football because I used to tell them, if you can't huddle up properly, and get to the line of scrimmage and get a playoff in 25 seconds, then what the hell do we need a football for? (laughs) I used to tell them that, and the defense would have to make all the adjustments to all of our different formations. We'd practice every formation we had, say the first 15 minutes, or pre-practice, we would call this, as you see, pre-practice all the time. And our defense would have to make all the adjustments so that when we went against each other, it isn't like they haven't seen it before. And once they would get in and out of the huddle, huddle properly, break the huddle properly, and I, and I was very, every little detail, I was a hands-on guy. If they didn't break the huddle right, I would say, huddle up again and do it again. If you can't huddle up right and break the huddle right and act like you want to play football, how the hell are you going to play football? So get back in the huddle again. And I used to practice running off and off the, on and off the field, which means that I'd put the offense on the sideline, they'd run, form a huddle, break the huddle, and then run off the field again. We didn't walk anywhere. I was really going to build to them, build into them the pride of being tougher, more conditioned, and a better football player and team than our opponent. That's what I tried to do in the spring. Now, every little detail on stretching, every little detail with your toes on the line. I used to be so on hands that your socks were all at the same level. You all wore the same socks. You all wore the same shoes. You didn't have any towels. You didn't do this and that. And you never took your helmet off on the football field unless I told you to. And then you guys might think, well, that's a little stupid. But my feeling is you're on the football field to play football. Have you ever played football without a helmet on? (laughs) 
And and when you're on the sideline, if I call you to go in the game, I don't want you to run back to the bench and try to find your helmet. You know where it is, but it's on your head. Now I wasn't I wasn't uh, where I wouldn't say, okay, everybody take a knee, everybody take a break, take your helmets off, and I tell a joke and talk about how practice is going and relax and say, guys, we've had a good practice so far. We got up it a little bit because we sort of dragged at the end of it. Whatever we have to do. But I was really hands-on. In the weight room, whenever we worked out, whenever we were as a team or an individual, you wore the exact same T-shirt, Rebel Pride. You had the same colored trunks, same shoes, and I bought them workout shoes where they all had the same workout shoes that they all wore. So whenever we were together, we were a team. When we traveled, we all wore the same exact thing. I bought them all sweats where they all wore the same sweats, same color, same everything, same travel shoes, everything, because we were a team on, off the field, everywhere we went. So I think that's what you try to develop, and people say, man, that doesn't make any difference. Yes, it does. It starts with the little things. A termites, termites can eat your old house away. Don't worry about Big things, you can correct them, but little things, you've got to take care of all the little things, dotting the I, letting them know the importance of it. And spring practice is boot camp for me, whether it's in shimble shirts or helmets or, or whatever. Every single thing you do, you do as a soldier. You do it as a teammate. You're not going to let your guy down. you got his back. And I think that's what it's all about, and that's what I used to try to do in spring practice. Nice. All right. I think you're firing everyone up, Coach. This is great. Um, we want to do a couple more before we let you go. Uh, Melvin wanted to know, do you think Cody Kessler will get a real chance at the starting quarterback position? Is it really an open competition, or does Mac Wittick, Max Wittick uh, have the job and, and Kessler uh, doesn't really have a shot? Well, let me tell you, this is where you come down to your head coach telling you the truth. You know, one thing you have to do as a head coach, players just want to know. Know the rules. Know what they, what they can do and what they can't do. If you're not going to have a shot, you tell them, hey, kid, you're not going to have a shot. You know, if you want to transfer or do something, I think you should do that. I'll help you find a place you can play. I mean, you can't BS kids and parents. they got to look at you in the eyes when you talk to them. And I used to talk to my kids in the eyes. If he wasn't looking at me in the eyes, then i said, wait a minute, we got to start this over. Because they got to trust you. they got to want to sell out for you. And if you tell them it's going to be equal rotations and I'm not sure who's going to play and who's the starter is going to be, then you better do that. Because these kids know who the best one is. You don't think your team knows who the best quarterback is? You don't think your quarterbacks know who the best quarterback is? Or your other coaches? Don't say it's going to be the best quarterback that's going to start unless you mean it. Now, if you say it's going to be a battle between Wittick and Brown, all right. Then Kobe knows that, hey, I'm a backup or I'm going to transfer. And you don't want an unhappy player. Or you don't want a player leaving you and bad-mouthing your program and his parents bad-mouthing your program back to the school he's from and all of that. You've got to be honest with kids. You've got to tell them what they need to work on. You've got to tell them what they're good at. You've got to tell them the whole thing. And the whole story. And when you sit down and talk to them and show films to them and put your arm around them or spank them when they need to be spanked, they understand why. 
And when it comes down to it, you could put, you say, okay, guys, we're going to vote on it. Let's see what we do. If these guys voted for themselves, I'd understand it. But normally they don't. Let's take the team and let the team, offensive team, vote for the starting quarterback. You know what? They could pick the starting quarterback as well as the coach could. But they've, they've seen every turn, every practice, and so on, and they know who's number one. So it's not like you can camouflage something. But if you're not honest with every single player and have a relationship with every single player on your team, it's very difficult because they don't trust you or believe you. All right, Coach, one last one. Is... You just keep saying one last one. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, no, that's all right. We'll do one more. We'll go OT today. If that's okay. A little OT. This is from okay. Bob. Um, he said there's always talk of the USC, quote-unquote, play calling being a problem, but never talk about the plays themselves. If you look at the USC offense on film, you will find the plays are very elementary, and they even seem unable to run plays under Kiffin that are considered quite ordinary, like screen passes, draw plays, plays that end up with players wide open by flooding zones or crossing patterns, etc. I think the schemes are as much to blame as the play calling. Simple case in point, all spring we heard how some of Vanuku was faster than some tailbacks, yet Kiffin couldn't come up with ways to use him. And if Marquise Lee is such a talent, shouldn't he be in the Wildcat, Slotback, and other schemes five or six times a game to increase his touches? That's from Bob. Well, Bob, uh, you've seen a, a lot of football, and I think that you can have too much football, and you, there's a point where you don't have enough football as far as in your offensive game. I think the, the, the one thing that hurts you as a football coach is doing too much and no one understanding it as far as an offense. You don't need a lot of formations. You don't need a lot of plays. All you need to do is to execute them and say, they do this, I do that. You put your players in a position where my X is bigger than your O or my O is bigger than your X, and we're going to outperform you and out-execute you. And I think you're exactly right. You have to be able to adjust to what people are doing, and you have to be able to execute. You can't send your team on the field confused. And I think that the first, like I talked about earlier in the practice in spring, what I would do without a football. They've got to understand every single thing we do. And you've got to teach them. And the kids have got to understand if they're doing this, we do that. But the kids will come off during the game and come to you because they're not afraid to come to you. And they'll say, hey, coach, you're playing us, man. Why don't we do this route? Why don't we do 25? Why don't we do this, 83? Uh, why don't we do that? Because they're doing that. And then, you know, they come back with great suggestions because they're in the game. They're in the heat of the fire. And they know what they can beat certain people on. And you've got to have that type of relationship with your players. So, yes, I think that you have to have what we called at that time, and I still call it now, packages. Not a lot of packages, but complete packages. Yeah, you've got to have certain runs on a certain running game. And off that running game, you've got to be able to block it two or three different ways. You've got to hit all the holes along the line of scrimmage. You've got to have bootlegs. You've got to get your quarterback involved in those plays. You've got to be able to have certain type of routes. If you're going to throw the ball, then you've got to have play-action pass as well, a three-step, five-step, seven-step, three different types of drops and different type of routes to attack the secondary. You've got to be able to have off of that draws, as he just mentioned, draws and screens to keep them 
honest with you and you're balanced with them. You've got to be able to have when you're facing teams and they're stunning all day and you can't block them up, you've got to have a, what you call a solid for blocking formation where everybody blocks to the left and the back blocks the end man on the light, the scrimmage to the left, and they blind the other way, the line blocks to the left, and they block gaps, they take areas so that you can seal off and the quarterback knows it's a three-step, five step, throw the ball fast. But you've got the, everything blocked. You've got to cover everything. You've got to have a goal line package, not just a passing goal line package or a short yardage package, the same thing what you call breaker or jumbo or whatever that term you want to use where these kids go in. They've been practicing this. I've talked about this over and over and over where they know you cannot be stout. When it's first on the three-yard line or three on the first on the four-yard line, they know you can't stop us because I used to practice that, as I've told you, with 12 guys on defense to make it tougher for them. And when they could do it against – 12 on defense, they had confidence they could get it done on short yardage. You can't put a doubt in their mind on any of the plays you call because they know if, you're, if they're doing this to his coach, why don't we do that? And they can help call the plays as well as you can because you've taught them what the philosophy and the packages that you have in your game. So, uh, yeah, I think that you can have too much because I saw too much offense I would see individuals picked out and the use of one player more than what he should be used, burning out a player and wasting other players. And uh, I think that uh, I saw when they ran screens or draws, I don't think they had the timing that they needed to, to run a screen. A screen is all timing and learning how to throw through people's arms and around people and setting up on the right side. If you're in the middle of the field where you set the screen, if you're on the right hash where you set the screen, if you're going to the wide side screen, a short side screen, exactly where you set your tackles and the linemen never look back and they always look forward and the back, he knows where the ball's going to be, never in the front of him but to the back of him because you don't want anybody to pick the ball off in front of you if they read the screen. All of these little type of things have to be taught and worked on. So it's not a lot of plays. It's packages and making sure you run them correctly. All right, Coach. Well, thanks for the OT today, especially on a holiday. We're working you overtime. This you're, is ridiculous. You're trying to enjoy Catalina Island. I'm just Island. kidding you. Ryan, I love doing this with you. You know that. <laughs> well, I've got to give you a hard time. No, thanks for answering the questions, and especially the stories in the beginning. I thought that was great. Uh, you know, it's always good to get your experience. Um, you know, what's going on. You've been around coaching for a long time and, and know a lot of these guys, the history and all that stuff. So it's great. It's great stuff. We appreciate you coming on. Well, Ryan, I, I appreciate it too. And thank you very much uh, to our listeners who send those questions in because all we're trying to do is do this show for you. And I enjoy talking with you about it. And Ryan, I want to thank you too for being a part of uscfootball.com. All right, coach. Well, thanks again. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Everyone else, make sure you check out sctickets.com if you need tickets for anything. We'll be back in 30 seconds with Dan Weber talking more USC football. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. 
now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Got USCfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber joining us on the line. Lots to get to, Dan. Um, wanted to jump into some questions right away. Obviously, the, the coaching changes and, well, the, the coaching coaches leaving and not really being replaced so far. That's uh, kind of the big story. And David in the OC wanted to know, he said, with all the changes going on with the coaching, do you think Lane Kiffin addressed the players and t- told them about his new plans or are the players still blindfolded with no direction on their future? Uh, that's from David in the OC, Dan. What do you think? I guess as a, the last uh, time I was over there on Wednesday, uh, it didn't sound like a, the players you ran into uh, we were going over to talk to Clancy uh, Pendergast, uh, had talked to some of them had talked to their position coaches, uh, hadn't had that kind of, uh, organizational, you know, meeting to, um, to talk about the general direction of the program. And it might be that, you know, there's, there's not a way to, to do that. Uh, at this point, uh, had asked some of the defensive guys, have you met the new coach? And, uh, uh, the one, I guess, more linemen that I bumped into had not yet. Uh, they'd heard about, uh, you know, what what they thought their uh, their future was going to be, but uh, but that, those things haven't happened yet. Uh, one, I mean, to me, this would seem to be the perfect time to have those one-on-ones with the head coach. I think that would be just one of the one of the greatest, you know, benefits for from this kind of a you know, staff that's, that's not completely filled out is to have the, uh, have, you know, the head coach basically, you know, have a kind of a meeting, you know, an individual personalized meeting with every, everybody on the team, including walk-ons and, and really, really use this opportunity to, to get to know, know the guys and, uh, and interact with them. And, uh, you know, just maybe some of the things that have been missing a little bit, I think, uh, uh it's probably uh, when you talk about the Trojan family, I think it's an area where, you know, this would be just absolutely perfect time to improve on that kind of uh, communication and connection between coaches and players. So uh, really would uh, really would like to see that happen between now and spring ball. You're not sure when, you know, when or if all the coaching slots get filled by then. So you'd hate for kids, say, who don't have a position coach to kind of be floating and, you know, wondering, you know, what are the plans for me and all of that. And I think it's one of the advantages of a, of a place like USC where there is really a concept of the Trojan family. You know, it's not just a big, you know, big-time uh, college football program and a big, you know, big-time town, all that. It's, you know, got the advantages of a private school and a community and a family. And, and I think USC uh, really needs to take, uh, take advantage of that. So, so I'd be a big uh, proponent of the one-on-one meetings with the head coach and all the players. Sounds good, Dan. We'll see what that what's going on. I don't think the players know much because I don't think the the staff doesn't seem to know what's going on quite right now. But I guess we'll see. Uh, we got we got to know soon enough because spring ball is starting. We think uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, here's another. Here's a voicemail question for you, Dan. Kind of on the on the the coaching subject as well. Hello, I'm calling in. I'm a USC alumni, and um, my friends have been giving me a little grief about Lane Kiffin. I've been a supporter of him. Um, recently, when he fired Kennedy Paul Malu, though, um, I think I have a change of heart in regards to the Trojan team, in that there is no 
alumni playing on their team. That USC team is usually stacked with tradition, which helps with recruiting. So I'm going to ask you a question. Why can't they go out and bring back some of the Trojan greats to coach this team, i.e., go pay Lonnie, uh, get Lonnie Watt to go coach the defensive backfield and get Marcus Allen to coach the running backs? And that way he'll please the alumni and what kid in recruiting would want to be coached by two all-time greats. Um, that's my question, and uh, I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Well, I think one of the real problems for USC has been the alums have had such great success. I mean, when you talk about, you know, you, you can throw out, you know, Ronnie Lott and Marcus Allen and Anthony Munoz and guys like that, uh, you know, who were – as close to the the very best who ever played the game at their position, um, uh, it's just probably not one of the the natural developments that they go back and 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 start coaching uh, at the uh, you know grad assistant level or the college level or whatever. Uh, he talked to some some of those guys, and and um, and Alana, for example, do have other responsibilities and they're involved in lots of other things and what have you. You would probably be surprised that some of them uh, wouldn't totally object to being able to do it, except it probably just almost isn't doable in terms of, of other things that they, you know, these guys have going on in their lives. But uh, they really, I mean, I'll tell you, uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me if some of the issues that are going on under the surface that we really don't know about. Uh, in terms of where the program's going and how it how it has to get there and, and all the little things that are happening are as a result of, of some of these guys uh getting involved in ways in which, you know, they're not terribly uh maybe thrilled about the direction of the program. And when you see, you know, people talking about this is USC football, USC football has to be the physical team in the in the Pac twelve. USC football has to be the you know team that's not afraid. And and all of that, I think a lot of that's coming from, you know, some of these absolutely great, great, you know, players that we all we all know their names, and who really do stay involved with uh, with USC football in terms of how they care about it and how they uh, how they think about it. It's just logistically, it's not. And I know actually they have tried uh, in some circumstances with some of those guys to see if there's a way to work it out, and it just just doesn't exactly, you know, you know, in terms of they'd have to, you know, pick up and move or whatever. And some of them, you know, were so, you know, important and famous and and um, and are so lost into so many things. Let's say in their, you know, new hometown or in their hometowns like Cincinnati for Anthony and Ronnie Lott in the Bay Area and that. But it really, it, it just isn't exactly doable. But this would be a great idea. And they, they, one would think they do need to figure out how to get a USC guy, uh, you know, coaching on this football team. Right now, Ross Cumming, uh, linebacker, great kid, walk on, earned a scholarship, became a really great contributor, uh, uh, is a graduate assistant working with uh, linebackers and special teams, does a great job. But it's just his second year essentially out of school. So um, so we'll see how that goes, but, but it's a really good idea. Um, another coaching question, Dan, since it's kind of the hot topic right now, uh, this is from JJB. He says, thanks for your professionalism. You guys do a really good job or great job. Thanks, JJB. He said, if you're going to get rid of an offense, 
of offensive coaches, why not get rid of the offensive line coach? And he's talking about uh, James Craig. He had a lot more to do with the problems on offense than Kenny Palomalu. KP was one of the best running back coaches in the country and a great recruiter. Has there been any specific reason why KP was fired? I'm really trying to support Kiffin and give him the benefit of the doubt, but he's making it real tough. That's from JJB. JJB, I think we've all decided that that we we know as much and we're going to say as much about the whole Kennedy Palomalu situation as has come out to this point. And and yet people are guessing and people are picking sides and all that. I would just say this might be one of those ones where you say, boy, I wish that didn't happen. Darn, that that's really sad. Man, I know the kids really, you know, liked him and liked playing for Kennedy. And, and um, you know, I still remember the, the, the last time I talked to him, we were walking off the practice field in El Paso, and he, he puts his arm around you and tells you, you know, what he really thinks. Uh, but, uh, you know, this this might be one that, you know, and I'm I'm probably not one that would ever hesitate to pick a side or say, you know, this is the right thing or the wrong thing or whatever. On this one, I think we might just leave it there. It, it's just really a shame that it that it happened, and that uh, probably it's oversimplifying things like this to say it is a result of one thing or the other thing, and therefore. Uh, I don't know that I'd, you know, kind of analogize between, say, what happened with uh, uh, Kennedy in, as a representative of the running backs and um, and Coach Craig and the offensive line and, and, and how those, you know, turned out uh, this season or in recent years. I, I, I don't think it's it's totally, completely as, as um is is simple you know as simple as black and white as, as those things are and some of it has you know had to do i think with kennedy's own you know feelings about um about the direction and just in general uh so i think i think the kennedy situation you know it's just the worst cliche that you could ever come up with you know that it is what it is <laughs> but i think it i think that's kind of where where it is and might be just best left just right there. Uh, and a good point too. And I, I you don't want to, I mean, I'm not saying a coach should or shouldn't be fired or this one should be blamed for this, but I think it's hard to say uh, that, you know, if the running back struggled, it's Paul Malo's fault. Or if the, the line struggled, it's uh, Craig's fault. I think there's a lot of different factors that kind of go into it. Um, not saying, you know who got who should have been stay you know who should have stayed who should go or if anyone should go or wh- whatever it is but i think it's hard to say sometimes if you don't know exactly what's going on behind the scenes where guys forced to do things a certain way where it, it it's really hard to say um but yeah i mean we're yeah. there every day but we're not in the team meetings we don't see the cutups after you know uh, after practice and we don't know what, you know, somebody says to somebody else, and they say, nah, we're not going to do that. Uh, you know, so I would say this. We probably, who who are closest to it of anybody, tend to be less judgmental about some of those things than, than maybe some of the people who aren't as close. Uh, because you can, on the outside, you can say, you know, it looks like. And there's no, 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 no disagreement there. 
uh, it looks like they took a step back. It looks like they they didn't get the job done, or it looks like they'd have blocked better. Uh, they know the running backs would have run the ball better, and you can't argue, you know, with that. Again, you don't know everything that went into everything. You know, we can have our our kind of feelings about uh, what we're seeing and the extent. And if somebody said, you know, they're going to bring in. Uh, as they were, you know, obviously certainly jumped on the, what would have been a really interesting approach if you could have gotten the line, you know, running game coordinator and an offensive line coach from, you know, Stanford to come in and, and maybe be, be the offensive coordinator. Uh, who would have argued with that? I mean, you know, I mean, at, at every every area, that would really be, uh, you know, the uh, home run hire. But, um, uh, to, to, it's hard to pick one guy and then pick the other guy and say, well, this guy did this and then that guy didn't. It's you know, it's like blaming the, you know, some of the defensive coaches for what happened last year. You know, the first year guys, Scotty Hazelton and Marvin Sanders, and you know, was it you know just one you know part uh, or was it the whole scheme overall that uh, that caused them to slide the way they did? Um, so uh, we probably stay away from trying to, um, you know, break out the specifics of, uh, of, of, you know, of blame on that, you know, and, and some of it is how much time do they get to, do, to really work on, on their specialties? You know, if they, if they uh, you know, don't have enough time, you know, you can say, well, they're not, you're not doing enough fundamentally. They're not really uh, working on starts and stances and they're, they just don't look good. They don't, you know, there's no question about it. Uh, who makes that final call? Again, you know, it's hard. It's hard to break it out that specifically in terms of, you know, placing blame, I think. Right. I agree with you, Dan. Um, let's go to Tom in Long Beach. And I think, just to preface this, I think he's talking about the head coach. I had him uh, resend this, but I'll, I'll read what he said, and maybe you can make some sense of this, Dan, and, and get your thoughts. He said, is it possible that a new coach has already been selected and the assistants he would not retain are being fired in advance of his announcement so that he doesn't have to be occupied with the negativity associated with firing them. A strong new coach would certainly have his team selected in advance. This approach to succession is used in corporate uh, corporations everywhere. Why not here at USC? That's Tom in Long Beach, and I think he's talking about yeah. head, okay. head coach Lane Kiffin. <laughs> Tom, I think that's a... <laughs> That's a level of sophistication and a uh, an amount of planning that would absolutely stun any of us who, are, <laughs> who have been close to this. Uh, wow. Uh, now, it's not something I haven't said. You know, is there something more going on here? I don't, you know, it, it's odd the way it has proceeded in not proceeding. I mean, in the, the little a bit of... Uh, uh, of, of leaks of any names, and some would guess that that might mean there aren't many names, or there isn't very much, you know, going on, or the bare minimum going on, uh, and it come to an impasse. Or it, could something like that end up happening, even if it's not the plan, uh, because this doesn't, you know, go right. Uh, this is. They're not going to tell us. I mean, you know, they might, you know, that's the kind of plan. They might even not be telling the people that are involved in that plan what's happening. So, uh, 
it's an, an interesting conspiracy theory that's probably, you know, uh, I wouldn't want to emphasize the word conspiracy too much, but, but if there's like an inside, you know, game plan, you know, you could throw it out there because, uh, Nothing else, nothing, I wouldn't say nothing else, but nothing explains exactly what we're seeing, that that not much is happening or that so much more happened on defense where, to be honest, that was lesser, less of a problem than the offense, except for the, fact, for, except for the Oregon game. Throughout the Oregon game, the defense had a better year than the offense, significantly so, and yet the first three, uh, you know, to go are, are – um, the defensive guys. So, uh, interesting theory. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll see. Uh, would I say it's totally impossible? Uh, no, no, I wouldn't. Ah, interesting. We'll see how that goes. All right. Well, let's get off the coaching thing for a little bit. We'll talk about some team stuff. Um, the, uh, winter workouts are going on right now. Um, their team is doing a lot of conditioning work. We haven't seen them out in the field too much throwing yet, trying to get that organized. We expect some more of that to happen this week, at least possibly. Um, Paul Las Vegas, though, has a question about it. The He said, question about the early enrollees. Did they get any coaching from the older players uh, on techniques and things like that, like uh, blocking for incoming running back uh, Justin Davis, or is it just weight training now? until spring pr- practice officially starts. That's uh, Paul in Las Vegas. Well, we've seen, um, you know, Max Brown has been out with, uh, with the quarterbacks. And, you know, he's one of these, you know, phenoms that he doesn't look like he needs a lot of, you know, he might need terminology or might need, you know, just little stuff. But you wouldn't get the, you know, other than he's, you know, still looks like he's probably a high school kid in terms of, you know, his uh, physical maturity and all that. Uh, he uh, he doesn't look like he needs to be brought up to speed. Uh, uh, it's, he's pretty he's pretty amazing that way. I haven't really seen the other guys, so so we really don't know. They get uh, you know they do the um, the running, uh, they do all the you know cardiovascular stuff and that for an hour, and then they do the um, do their weightlifting. So they get a lot of you know interaction with the uh, with the upperclassmen there. But uh, as far as uh, getting out on the field, I'll be honest, I'm not sure they're completely sure what all the things they want to be telling them to do are, are just, you know, in terms of uh, specific techniques and things like that, the little, little stuff, especially they work on with throwing or the defensive linemen, you'll see them working with the, uh, uh, you know, doing their, you know, different kinds of uh, uh, pass rush drills and things like that, shedding and what have you. Um, that's just, uh, we haven't seen that. Uh, and uh, if that's by design, a, I mean, the fact that, you know, for three years you had, you know, Matt Barkley is, uh, you know, without a doubt the organizer, heir apparent, you know, he was, he was, you know, from the time he was a sophomore, he was in charge. And, uh and they'd be out there, and, and other guys would, you know, once the, the throwing guys were out there, gave other guys a chance to be out there. Uh, now you've got basically three guys, you know, three pretty new people in terms of, you know, running the show. Uh, and uh, and then you've got, you know, guys like Deion Bailey who, 
you know, with his surgery and what have you. Or, or Devon Kennard is back as kind of a leader, but uh, he didn't play it all last year. So it's kind of an interesting, a different sort of a dynamic as far as this team in terms of the winter, um, you know, workouts. I, I'm not that much, uh, you know, discouraged about, oh, they're not getting an early start. I'm not sure what their early start should be if they were out there, what exactly should they be doing uh, in terms of starting early. Uh, uh, I mean, the, the offensive linemen, four of the, center, four of the guys that can play center and also guard, were out there the other day, and they're working on their on their steps. And I was kidding one of them, saying it looked like a line, you know, it looked like a line dance, you know. Uh, <laughs> and that's they, you know, I don't know what they they knew exactly what they wanted to be doing, so they were doing whatever they thought they could do, but uh, uh, but probably the early entry guys so far haven't gotten as much. Uh, work done as maybe someone would would hope they'd get done, but that may not be the worst thing. But but we're not seeing much of that. Uh, okay, let's go to Melvin. He said, uh, "I see Dion Bailey's not going to be playing uh, training for spring practice uh, right now. Is there anyone else that you know of that's not going to participate in spring ball?" From Melvin. Well, it doesn't look like uh, uh, Trey they're going to take any chances with him, uh, even though it also looks like he's is going to be close to 100% as he could be. And also, I think it, I've heard, again, if you don't see him in person, it's not easy, and then you're not even sure, but I've heard that maybe Christian Thomas had to have some more work done on his hip, and I think it's from what I'm hearing, it, it's more positive than it, than it might sound at first. That at first there was some worry that you know he probably has had the most severe of those uh, hip cartilage issues of anybody. Even though he he looked like he was coming back a little bit of practice at the end of the year, and uh, then um, we heard that they they had to go in again. And the first thought is, oh no! But but what I've heard is it might be a really good sign that. They wouldn't have done it had they not thought, okay, he can really be back for uh, for the fall and be a real contributor and that this is a sign that things are getting better with him. And he's got the ability, like unlike most guys, to really contribute on either side of the football and uh, athletically and at more than one position uh, on, on either side. So uh, that might be – we might not see him in the spring, so he may be something of a guess in the fall. But uh, with the numbers that they're go- they're going to have, I think uh, uh, I think it really works well to have these have guys who can play a couple of places and um, and have that kind of flexibility in terms of their athletic ability. So uh, so that's that's what I've heard at this point. Okay. Uh... I think one or two more we can uh, get in there before we let you go, Dan. Uh, Jamal says, hey, Ryan, don't you think it's uh, about time for USC to install a pro-spread system? I noticed that Max Brown was in the shotgun all through his high school career, and it would be easy to develop him into a starting position or starting quarterback doing something that he's done for years. Great Great coaches know how to get the most out of the talent they have. That's from Jamal. You know, it's got to be on the table, but it probably should have been on the table last year, like for the Stanford game. 
Uh, <laughs> you no, know, I mean, I just, yeah, I think, uh, I think USC has to make some decisions about the fullback. What are they going to do? Uh, and how are they going to, you know, and where, you know, where are they better suited? What mix of how many, you know, what wide receivers and all of that. They ended up throwing the ball as much as you would in a, uh, in a pro spread. So, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe they didn't do it because they didn't, didn't think they could get the snap back. Uh, that's the kind of rationale that, that I think impacted them sometimes. Oh, we do this, but this guy can't do that or something like that. And then they didn't do it, you know, or we throw the ball to the tight ends, but since our tackles can't block, we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we better hold them in and, you know, I think that there really needs to be some rethinking, uh, as to how, uh, as to how they, how they organize and, and what they organize, you know, and what they end up with and, and all that. Uh, I mean, you know, you can run the football out of the, you know, the pro spread and, uh, uh, it just is though when you suggest anything different, you do get this. Nope, that's not how we do it. We do we do what we did. Um, you know when when Pete was here, it's interesting. They almost never talk. They never mention Pete's name, but they do kind of reference. This is who we are, uh, and this is how we do things. To kind of the ten years ago. Uh, with Pete, and uh, I just think, you know, they're in a position now where they just have to do what's best for USC, what they can teach best, what they know best, what they can practice best, and what's going to be the most productive for them in football games, and a lot of that hasn't been happening. Hey, Dan, one last thing. Uh, While we were, while we started to record this, uh, Charles Robinson tweeted, and this news just broke, that the NCAA has fired VP of Enforcement, Julie Rowe Locke. I think that's how you say her name, Locke. Wow, okay. Uh, in the wake of an external review into power abuses during the, during the Miami probe. So that was... Uh, um, tr- I do know that. I always felt she was so over her head. She had been a basketball player at Milwaukee University and went to law school in Indianapolis. And they hired her right off, you know, this right out of law school and... And she worked for them for about 12 years. I know she was part of the very first kind of seminar that the USC Compliance Department put on a couple of years ago. And I know the story I always remember from that first one is they, they went around the room and asked everybody, and they had athletic directors and conference people and what have you from around the country, and they asked everybody kind of what their take was on kind of the, the approach that they were going to take to uh, getting ahead of the whole compliance and enforcement thing. And they said when they came to her, everybody kind of thought, what is she doing here? This is the least qualified person in the room. And then they realized, wait, this is the NCAA's director of enforcement. Um, <laughs> what the heck's going on here? I mean, really, this, this, was, this was probably inevitable. Um, wow. This is really blowing up on uh, Dan. The the first part it was. I think our connection got uh, stepped on a little bit in the first part. But what was her background? And there was a tie to USC or something. Well, she had been a uh, uh, 
I mean, she was a young, she had been a basketball player at like Millican University, as, as, I, as I remember the story. Went to law school at IU in uh, Indianapolis, and uh, it was hired right out of law school. And I think the first job she had was she was they were one of those uh, investigators that they would send to Las Vegas for summer basketball, and they'd sit right behind the AAU teams and keep track of who their sponsors were and who was on the team and who was around and all that kind of stuff. Just like a terrible job. But when they named her head of enforcement, I know people were like, what? She's just, there's no way. I mean, this hasn't been around. He hasn't, doesn't know enough, you know, doesn't, you know, just, and the thought was always, well, she's going to be loyal because this is a way better job than she'd ever get anywhere else. And, <laughs> and, Three years ago, right when, you know, USC started, you know, under the gun, under the sanctions, and they brought her for the, compli- you know, for a seminar. They brought people in from, uh, you know, the Pac-12 and other conferences and other schools and kind of a general uh, approach to how, you know, where do we go from here and how do we get things going? And they went around the room and everybody introduced themselves and, um, you know, who they were and what they saw as the problems in college, you know, college sports enforcement and all of that. And I still remember people telling me afterwards, they said, it was like some high school presentation when she started talking. And I thought, how is this possible that the NCAA's head of enforcement almost sounds like it doesn't belong here at all? I mean, and has no <laughs> background, no understanding, no, you know, idea of really what's going on hasn't been anywhere else basically, uh, but the NCAA hasn't seen, you know, all the things that, that could happen in sports. And I still remember uh, some of the people who were at, at that telling me it was shocking to hear kind of how she saw the you know the the, the world of NCAA enforcement and, and, and compliance and uh, and I just have never had a sense that 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 she was really up to that job boy that's uh that's interesting uh wow i mean obviously the thing has just gone to i mean we knew what we thought we knew three and a half years ago with the usc case we were pretty sure and it's turned out every single thing we said was was true yeah and who knew at the time because nobody believed this nobody believed that the ncaa's enforcement investigative uh, uh uh apparatus could be that flawed and that badly run or whatever, you know, even worse. And uh, I'm not sure that anything we said about it hasn't turned out to be exactly true. And there's nothing still when you go back and read the first story we did on the USC case, you realize there's not a single thing in there that we have to change. Yeah. It was all it was all in there. And uh, now, wow. See, this is something that hasn't happened before where – People from the inside of the NCA are now going to be on the outside. You couldn't ever get anybody to talk. You couldn't ever, and I don't know if that'll happen in this case either. But I knew a couple of weeks ago when Emmert um, threw the investigative staff under the bus in the uh, in the case of uh, in Miami case, when, and when they were saying that uh, they uh, had exceeded uh, their authority and they you know broke all the rules and hiring the uh, attorney for that Nevin Shapiro to get information for the NCAA's case and without telling anybody. Uh, 
And the first thing you heard was an investigator said, that's not true. They knew, everybody at the NCA knew about this. They signed off on it. And there were 20-some thousand dollars in fees that were paid, and it's been going on for months. So you knew there was a crack somewhere in there that the investigators getting thrown under the bus weren't going to take it. And now that's, uh, what, two investigators and the head of the investigative uh, you know, department at the NCA now are gone. One would hope somewhere, somehow, stuff is going to come out uh, from those folks who are saying, look, this is the way we do business. Uh, it's not our fault. Uh, boy. That's really interesting. It is. All it's right. A tough that, job. It's a terrible job, I yeah. would say, without a doubt. But wow. Yeah. Well, thanks, Dan. I'm glad we could like talk about that. The very last part, I yeah, saw that on great. Twitter as we we're recording. But great stuff. We I know you've been under the weather, so we appreciate you coming on, and hope you feel better real soon. Yeah, well, this is a good time to not be practicing, and by next week we'll be uh, should be in good shape. Great. All right. Well, thanks again, Dan, and uh, thanks to Harvey Hyde for the first segment. Everyone else. Thank you for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We will try to do a Trojan Blast recruiting podcast this week. I know we, we got swamped last week and couldn't do it, but we'll try to get one done this week. Otherwise, we'll see you again next Monday. Thanks very much for tuning in. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.